Good morning once again, church. My name is Adam. It's good to see you this morning. I'm one of the leaders here at Sanctuary. Uh, if you guys want to pull out your bulletin, I want to draw our attention to a few uh, announcements this morning. Uh, number one, if you're new, receive your ninth welcome. Uh, we're pumped you're here. Uh, no matter how you find yourself walked in, walking in, uh, we are glad you're here. And we hope and we pray that this space will be one where you can encounter God, find community, and yeah, and just begin to go deep with what does it mean to be uh, a spiritual person? What, is it, what does this Jesus have to offer us? Uh, so we're excited you're here, and we hope that you do feel at home. And we hope that you'll stay uh, after and hang out with us on the Statehouse Lawn. We're having a picnic right after church today. Uh, if you didn't bring a, a, some food for the picnic, there's Public Kitchen, which is right up the, uh, up the corner here. There's a Rhode Island saying for you, right? Right up the corner. Up the corner, uh, right up the street here on the corner, um, and then there's also Panera Bread. You can grab some stuff and then meet us on the lawn for some games and hangout time. Um, if you look on the back of the bulletin, there's a bunch of other announcements. Just take like 30 seconds and give that a quick comb through. Uh, in particular, I'll draw your attention to the love and marriage class that's happening soon. Uh, if you are um, getting engaged, or you are engaged, or you've been married for 45 years, uh, this class is for you. If you are, uh, if you want to go deeper in, in your relationship, uh, this can be part of your in pre-engagement counseling or your marriage counseling. Uh, but we need you to sign up today. So write the word bed on your high card, which uh, should be in the seat back in front of you. Write the word bed. Um, We'll know what that means, and then we will get you plugged into the class. Also, above that is our singles table. Our first singles table is going to be happening on Friday, August 7th, um, and Saturday, August 8th. So look for that as well. And last but not least, home groups. Uh, feel free to contact one of these folks or get uh, connected at the welcome bar in the back after service if you're looking to get plugged into our smaller community. Sunday mornings are great. We love this, but church uh, happens so much more outside of these four walls. So that's why we have smaller communities that meet around the city, have, meal, have a meal together, uh, and go deep in scripture. So if, that's, if you're interested in that, write home group on the high card or just call these numbers if you're so bold uh, and get plugged in that way. With that, um, I'm going to invite us to stand for the reading of this morning's scripture. Would you stand with me? Matthew 6. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. I'm going to pray for our time. God, thank you that you are uh, alive and you are a God that speaks to us and that desires to have an intimate connection with us. Lord, I pray as uh, we open up your scripture and hear from your word, um, as we talk about disciplines and um, getting uh, our lives in order, I guess, Lord, I pray that it would be marked by this uh, deep desire that, that we know that you want us to know you and that you want to know us. 
Lord, so I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears. I pray for Andrew as he speaks. Would we be changed as we leave this place because of what we talk about? In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Um, so we're going through a series. Um, man, it is really, when it's really hot, um, playing music when it's really hot. It's really, anyone else hot? It's just really hot. Um, if I just break more into sweat up here, I apologize. Um, we, uh, it is really, really great to be with you. We always have a couple like Sundays in the summer that are, are a bit unbearable. Um, so hopefully you're doing okay. We keep thinking about buying the fans. Have you ever been to like a Southern Gospel Church and they have a picture of like the pastor's face? You know what I'm talking about? And they just do the little like this, like the whole service. Do you think we should do that? No, good. Um, <laughs> we, we are going through, a, going through a series, for those of you who are new with us, called Day One. And it's a series about spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. Uh, this is like a list of things that over, over the last uh, 2,000 years really, uh, even further back, there have been certain practices, some more well-known than others, some found directly in Scripture, some developed out of the early church. Um, uh, and even the later church up until recently, there are just different ways that people develop practices that really help us um, day at a time, uh, realign with the things that are most important. That help us uh, recognize, we've been using this term a lot, counter, uh, engage in counterformation. So the understanding uh, that we have about our, our current culture is that, and actually you could argue this has been there since the existence of time, some people per- kind of act as if um, they're, they're in a neutral place, right? Nothing else is affecting them. They're just them. I'm not really affected by anything. And that if I'd like to be more formed to become X amount of person or X amount of person, then I would do these kinds of individual practices. I would do these sorts of things. And what we have to recognize as followers of Jesus, and this is what Paul recognizes in Romans 12, which has been our kind of jump off verse for this whole series, which has been don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. In other words, there's a pattern to the world. There's ways that you are constantly being shaped. No matter how much you think you are the world's most special individual person and aren't really shaped by anything but your own thoughts and opinions, I just hate to be the jerk who has to remind you that is so unbelievably untrue. It's just not true. Like constantly, whether it's the barrage of media, the barrage of, of, uh, of the people that we surround ourselves with and how we're pushed into certain ideas around what we eat, how we consume, how we talk, the fact that we have access to information like we do on our phone, we are constantly formed into, into a certain kind of person. Now, that's not always bad. In fact, oftentimes it's, it, it's, a, it's just like a, it is. But we have to call out and recognize what are the things that are moving us to the, in the direction of death versus the direction of life. And, and so we've been basing, we kind of uh, took some core spiritual disciplines, practices, and we put them, we formed them around our values. So we have these four values. We journey uh, upwards together, which is a way of saying everything begins with God. We journey inwards and recognize that we have to relinquish the false self. God wants to heal what's happening inside of us. We journey outward. Uh, we recognize that the, the Christian life is one of mission. 
is an outward projection of generosity and love. We recognize what God has done in us and we move out. And then we do this all together. So we talk about them as upward, inward, outward, and withward, which is not really a word. Um, and so we decided to shape our disciplines around this. And uh, so I wanted to actually read, and, and maybe if, if you're here and you're comfortable reading out loud, next slide. Uh, we could read uh, this practice with us. Next slide. Next slide. Next. There. Nope. Nope. We're going to get there. That's really important, though. Can we go back to that one? Oh, you go back one more. Yeah, so there's a website that we put together. Um, John Finnerty did all these great images, and Jason Lee helped kind of collect all the, uh, some of the disciplines that we're going to be going through and some of the ones we aren't. And the idea was to make a mobile site that wherever you are, you can just type in sanctuaryday1.com and get a list of some regular individual practices that might help kind of shape you, some regular rhythms to get in to kind of push against the way we're being formed to be formed, conformed to the pattern of Jesus. So that's what that website is. All right, next slide. We can do it. Yes. So this is our inward direction. You all with me? I feel like we should, like, get up and run around for a second. No. <laughs> we believe that God wants to bring about a new humanity by redeeming every part of us. We embrace the salvation Jesus offers as the only hope for the healing of our relationships with God, each other, ourselves, and creation. We believe that all of life is spiritual and that all of our fears, failures, and brokenness can be restored and made whole. This is our inward direction. And so today I'm going to highlight one particular spiritual practice that's been really powerful to me. Um, and I'll just say right out the gate, this, is, this practice is one of, it's called secrecy. How many of you ever heard of the spiritual practice called secrecy? Like two of you. Cool. This is really great. Uh, this has been something so formational for me. But the irony is I'm not really supposed to talk about it. So I'm violating this just for you. So I'm going to say a bunch of things I really shouldn't say in light of this discipline and practice that's really helpful in shaping my character. Um, let me read uh, a text to you. And we're gonna, I'm going to kind of take you a little bit on a journey to arrive us at this spiritual practice. Luke, if you have your scriptures, uh, your Bible out, Luke 17, verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So this is a story, and not one that relates to us too often, and except those of you who still have servants, about a master and a servant. We just don't have as many servants as we used to have. In Jesus' day, uh, this would have been incredibly re a really recognizable sort of story. The interaction was key. Um, this is not about slavery um, this was not uh, necessarily, I'm sure there were cases, but the servant-master uh, relationship was often one that you'd be working out of family indebtedness. This is something you'd be working to financial freedom. This is something in a, in a, ca in a system of, of uh, 
of hierarchy, something that maybe your family was born into. So that's why they talk about the merciful servant. And I just say that as context, is that this isn't commentary on master-servant relations. We get enough texts in the scriptures of uh, unbelievably liberating ar- around any sort of human ownership. But if you could boil down the point of the story, if the servant servant's job is to do whatever the master wants, then the master doesn't owe the the servant anything. In other words, does anyone find themselves when they go to a coffee shop and you come up against a barista who's about to make you coffee and you find yourself like thanking them for making you coffee. Anyone do this? I feel like this is in particular a white person problem. <laughs> yeah. You say thank you while you're getting like served some, some, some coffee. Or, or how many of you feel really guilty if the person at the counter has an attitude? Anyone? No one gets like this? Does anyone, honestly, like a little heart to heart here. I get so, I feel bad if someone's about to serve me something and then I, they, they seem like in a bad mood and then I feel like it's my responsibility to get them out of it. And they seem completely annoyed that I'm buying their coffee. No one? Or the waiter or waitress where you're like, and then you're, you're supposed to still give like a 20% tip because they're, have, you know, even though they've treated you like garbage. I'm really sorry for all those who are in the service and coffee industry. Um, just change this about yourself. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> plan like there's this place where almost sometimes like you feel like you owe the person something oh yeah thank you so much sorry for bothering you I just wanted to change my order like you are coming and spending money for a service I I just found this like inside my own heart like really really funny this is what's happening in this story it's just a reminder that the master doesn't owe the servant anything The servant's just doing the servant's duty. So the servant shouldn't expect some sort of thing beyond like what they've agreed to do. Jesus is saying, you respond with, I'm just doing my duty. You are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. So the larger thing that Jesus seems to be talking about in this passage is entitlement. Entitlement. The idea that God owes you. Jesus seems to be saying, be very, very careful Entitlement can creep in in all sorts of ways. Sometimes, these are kind of the two places I've sensed entitlement creeping in in my own life. Sometimes it's around suffering. Like, God, you owe me because I went through this. It's usually pretty subtle. It's like a little bit of like an edge that you kind of have around like, I had to walk through this, this, this. Those people didn't have to. I've been nothing but good. I've shown up for church this many times. Like you can grow more and more and more bitter around whatever brokenness or things you feel like is coming. It ends up setting up the sense of I I should be entitled to to your, uh, to some image I have of who you are. And, And the second way I sense entitlement often creeping in, you can tell me if this resonates at all, is achievement. Achievement. I've served God. I've done this. I've d- I, I have a little more coming. Ego ends up developing that shapes a sense of entitlement. 
um, this is great quote around kind of a, a way in which people often kind of see themselves who are people who serve really well. This is really, those of you in the nonprofit sector, I think you can relate to this. Quote, sometimes the people who fear insignificance, the, the most are driven to accomplish the greatest things. Anyone fear insignificance? As a result, they are highly praised for their good works, which temporarily soothes their fear until the next goal can be achieved. But there is a dark side to this drivenness. George MacDonald called it missionalism. It is, quote, the belief that the worth of one's life is determined by the achievement of a grand objective. He said missionalism starts slowly and gains a foothold in the leader's attitude. Before long, the mission controls almost everything. Time and relationships and health and spiritual depth and ethics and convictions. You ever met someone so wrapped up in their project? Like so wrapped up that they sacrifice their relationships in their life. They sacrifice the people in their life in the pursuit of something great. And then feels like the world owes them when something goes wrong. This is like a, a common pastor thing I've read about. They come home and you can treat your family like garbage because you've been doing the work of Jesus. Because you've done all this amazing stuff, you come home and you have this sense of greater entitlement. Entitlement will rob us of our joy. Entitlement will rob us of our joy. Jesus says when you do the right thing, it's just what you're supposed to do. There isn't like a, a there isn't like a point system. There isn't a, a list. Because if, if <laughs> I remember sharing this a long time ago. I'll share this again. If God, if God has to answer to you, like do you have to answer to God? If, if because of the good things that you've done or the suffering that you've endured, again, this is all on a very subconscious level. Don't, don't push this away because, oh, I've never done anything like that. I guarantee you on some level, likely, there's this sense that can so often creep in of what I'm owed. But if, if, if you get to make a list of all the things you feel owed, whether it's around achievement or whether it's around suffering, then God gets to make a list too. Because I went through something bad, so God has to answer for all the good in the world. Or because I've done something great, like, does God get to give you a list? So, I, I like this visual, just sitting down with God, because that's an obvious thing to be able to imagine. So you're sitting down with God. And because you're humble, because you know, like, you're in the presence of, like, the loving logic, force, love, God, person, like, behind everything. And so you go, all right, well, God, you go first. You go first. We're talking lists. You go first. So God starts in. Oceans. Well, God, what else have you done? Mountains. Yeah, but I've done streams, pasta, oxygen, holding hands, snowflakes, freedom, radiohead, white blood cells, buffalo sauce. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, the smell of coffee, music, authors, seasons, fireplace, laughing, breathing, Star Wars. <laughs> God says I could go on forever, literally, you go. 
Uh, I gave my church like 100 bucks one time. Uh, if your eyes are open, if your eyes are open, you can start to see the way that entitlement can subtly and slowly chip away at your joy. You don't want to get into a point system with God. You just say, and this is just my understanding of the story, is, is it just doing your duty? I, he's like, you're, as a faithful servant, I'm just doing, I'm doing what I'm called to do. But there are rewards mentioned in the Bible. And this is where I want to park it. Because I think this will help us with all the spiritual disciplines that we're going to be talking about, but specifically about the one today. And this is the text that uh, Adam just read. Jesus is talking about giving to the needy. And he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness. Righteousness there is both holiness and justice. Both words are used interchangeably. Um, oh, let's start right. It's like basically right living. So how we think of holiness, how we think of justice in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful that it isn't about how many people notice. This seems like good, normal advice, right? So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets uh, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're going to get back to this section in a second. I'm going to move on. But when you pray, same kind of, same rhythm here. But when you pray, this is verse 6, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Skip ahead a little to Matthew 17. I'm sorry, verse 17, Matthew 6. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, besides all the cultural context around the regular rhythms that any good uh, Jewish person, any good disciple of Jesus, any good follower of this rabbi, remember, Jesus is speaking to this big crowd. There's an assumption, because it's like baked into the law. Or we talk about like, hey, how are you giving to the, to the poor? There at least would have been some level of like almsgiving happening within this cultural climate. So when you do this, be careful of your motives. When you do this, be careful of your motives. When you do this, be careful of your motives. Now, what I find interesting is nowhere does it say that your rewards are something that will happen later. Someday. I think there's an element to that in parts of Scripture. But nowhere in these passages do you get the implication that this is about and you will receive some reward later. Do not live in such a way that your external deeds are put on display to show how great you are. When you do what you do, which should be prompted out of the love and devotion to God. When you've lived that way, that's the reward. The reward seems to be about here and now. Perhaps the reward for doing like the right thing is doing the right thing. Which sounds really, really, really unsexy. Perhaps the reward for just doing the right thing is like I did the right thing. Think about this for a moment. Like, try to process, what if the automatic reflex 
for why I want to be a person of radical love and beauty and generosity. When I fast to be more dialed in to recognize that I have cravings that spin me off course and I want to remember where really the life and love is. I don't do this as a show to other people. When I give and when I'm generous, whether it's in church or anywhere else, am I doing it in such a way that draws attention to myself? Do I feel the need to Instagram every act of graciousness and beauty and generosity and I do it in like that humble brag kind of way? You know what I'm talking about? It seems like the reward is here and now. Perhaps he's teaching us to be certain kinds of people, and it's the most natural thing imaginable to obey God. There's no entitlement. Like, God, I'm living out of the grace of the Almighty. Jesus mentions rewards three times. He's not trying to get us to do things uh, altruistically. He's pointing out that there is a great reward and joy in being eager to love and serve God. So we have to stop for a minute and ask the question, would everyone in the room, just for a minute, be open-minded to this idea? That there's a greater joy, a greater beauty, a greater love, a greater wholeness, could go on <laughs> with adjectives, to living this way. It may not be true. For those of you who are here and are not Christians and you're just trying to start making sense of the way of Jesus, just consider it. May we be open-minded for a second that this actually is a better way to live. And to just say I'm going to do this is not that easy. To just say I'm not going to have ulterior motives with the good, true, and beautiful things I do is not something necessarily that I can just do because I will myself to do it. Which is the point of all of these spiritual practices. Much of Jesus' teaching is to simply respond to the grace and love of God with little reward and doing things for others. It's immediate but not lasting. To do things for the sake, just to get attention, will not form you into the kind of person that you were created to be. When you and I are tempted, when we are struggling, what would happen if we live in such a way that the thing we wanted was naturally the right thing? So to go back to that first story that Jesus tells, the first picture, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I would humbly submit to you that Jesus is saying we should live with such obedience that being generous is the most normal thing imaginable. It's a silly picture. Silly. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. He's calling out like the false self. He's calling out the fact that we trick ourselves. Anyone ever feel like they trick themselves? That you lie to yourself. Anyone? I'm like, I'm like the, I am so good at spinning things to myself. I can make myself do a lot of ridiculous things. And frame them up in a way that makes me feel really okay about doing it. When you serve, you say, I've just done my duty. It's brilliant. I'm doing mar- marriage counseling with a couple right now. And they were talking about their families. And they were talking about how um, wh- wh- one of them uh, was talking to the other about how uh, difficult it was. We'll just call them Jim and Joe, or no, Jim and Jane. Jim and Jane, no, it's too confusing. Bob and, and Bertha. 
We got Bob and Bertha. <clears throat> I can't keep doing this. Bertha. Bertha's really upset with Bob. I should just say their names. Um, Bertha is, is kind of like frustrated at the allegiance that Bob has with his family. Like this unbelievable care going the extra mile. And, and the frustration isn't the good thing that he's doing of being really loving towards his own family, of being generous, about being willing at the drop of a hat to go and love and serve his family. It's that she notices that he doesn't get much in return. That it's not reciprocated very much at all. And what was funny as we began to talk is that actually the same thing applied to the other person. It was like this core kind of thing that was resonating. And I realized, I take a step back as they're both wrestling through their frustration at like, almost like I feel like you're like kind of a sucker. I feel like you're kind of a like, and sucker was not the word that was used. But kind of like this real awareness of you're taking advantage of and you got to be careful and it hurts me and it was this protectiveness. But really they were sharing this same exact quality, which was beautiful, which was just goodness for goodness sake. It was a generosity neither of them realized. They literally sit there explaining for the first time how, how they were not fully aware that they were quote unquote being taken advantage of. There was no debt system going on. There was no, well, I'm kind of done doing that because you really haven't reciprocated. I found it so beautiful. There was this aha moment of like, you guys should probably like get excited for one another at the way in which you share this common quality of radically loving the other person's family. Of radically giving yourself even with no expectation of return. When you serve, you say, it's I've just done my duty. I, I'm just a merciful, unmerciful, ser- or un- uh, unwilling servant. I've just done my duty. That you would become the person where fearless, brave, courageous, generous, compassionate, heroic living would be the most normal thing imaginable. The most normal thing, I think, is what Jesus is after. It's not some heavy duty. It's just that I can't live any other way than living in tune with the God of the universe. It's that I don't have any anxiety around people seeing the good things that I'm doing. It's that I don't have any anxiety around serving. It's that I'm not constantly comparing to see if I'm getting the love that I'm giving out. It's that I'm actually so unaware of it because I want to live in tune with the God of the universe. What could be a greater reward than to simply do the next right thing that's placed in front of you? Like what greater reward could there be? At that point, duty and delight become the same thing. Duty and delight become the same thing. How do we do this? 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's talking about life. This is one of these passages that we just kind of consume over really quick. Are you living your life in such a way that you're after the prize? The prize being the person and imparted life of Jesus. 
again, if we're just being open-minded for a second and trusting that Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. I've come to show you what it is to be most alive. I've come to forgive you of your sins, to reconcile you back to the Father, to set you free, to walk in the spirit of life. That this is how you were hardwired from the beginning. I have cleared away all of the junk and all of the sin and brokenness in your own heart. I've set you free from needing to worry about the fear and and poor decisions of others to set you on the path of life. If we're to trust that, which I understand is a really difficult thing sometimes to do. I understand that you may not be convinced of it. But for a moment, to suspend disbelief, even those who are Christians who go, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, because that's why I'm here, that's why I'm in church. Like to really trust that, are you running in such a way that you would get the prize? Are you training in such a way? This is where these spiritual practices, these spiritual disciplines come into play. We pretend that by osmosis, we will somehow begin to step into the way of Jesus. Narrow is the road. You will not naturally drift, we say this all the time, into the way of Jesus. Because you are being constantly counterformed into being more selfish, into relying more on your own strength. You are constantly being formed to more distraction. There are more things to get your attention to steer you away from that which is most good. So much so that we actually don't even trust that Jesus is the best possible way. Because other things become so appealing because we've been so counterformed. Spiritual practices are a test of the will. They are pushing away against your emotions and saying, I want to run in such a way that I get the prize. This is what Paul is saying. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. He's talking about sort of the Olympic games. They do it to get a crown that will not last. That's why I use the athlete analogy all the time. Athletes should get spiritual practices more than anyone else. If you want to achieve the thing, that you know what it is to get there. I was talking to a, a friend of mine the other day. He's just a brilliant illustrator, and we were talking along the same lines. It's like, if I want to like be at the top of my game, I need to actually practice my craft. I need to work at it day in and day out. I need to think about how I'm marketing myself. I need to think about how I'm... And you can apply this to any, any occupation. But it always seems to be like really, like Paul's analogy here of using like the athlete, it makes sense. If I want to run the fastest, if I want to throw the metal thing the farthest, if I want to spin the thing around, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm really technical with my Olympic game descriptions. Then I have to work at it day in and day out. And, and, and he's like, they, they work that hard to get a crown that won't last. You work that hard to like maybe get a medal, to maybe get a trophy. Maybe it's just for like appearances. You work that hard to look good for a couple decades. That's really all you got. And you work hard for that. That won't even last. That's why we're doing this series. That's why I'm so fired up about it. This is about giving yourself to the things that will truly last. It's about needing to reshape the schedule and reshape the rhythms. And it will hurt, just like working out for the first time will hurt. And then you get into a rhythm where you don't even think about it because your goal is so set on the prize. Because you're stretched out and you're warmed up. And you're ready to go. Last night I was doing this. um, My brother gave me this app. It's You Are Your Own Gym. Do you know this app? No? It's pretty sweet. 
Um, and basically, I don't really have any weights. My friend Matt Cavallaro calls me constantly to get me to go to the gym for free. And I still am really bad at going there because I'm just not very disciplined. But I'm really trying to shed like 10 pounds. So I'm like working at this. And yesterday was the first day I really like went for it with this app. And basically, it's like all these exercises you can do with no equipment. I have no home gym. And I'm out in my yard. And I, I put my phone down. And I'm like following along. And it's like military thrust. I don't know what that is. So I'm watching the little videos. And, and like I'm doing the, pow- the speed squats. You know, the, I can't even do it this morning because I hurt so bad. Like, they did the warm-up. I was supposed to do the warm-up. I'm like, oh, I was an athlete for years. I don't even need to warm up that much. Like, I should know better. And, like, I ache so bad. I literally cannot get further down than this. Like, my, it just it hurts a lot. The, the great part of this story is I look up, and I was doing it on our side yard. We live over in the West End, and the houses are pretty close. And I look up, and there's this dude next door just like, it's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, it wasn't, like, creepy. It was more like a, you look like an idiot. <laughs> I'm like, I got you. But we, it's going to hurt at first. And so the discipline I want to talk about is the one of secrecy. To finish this text really quick, therefore I do not run with someone running aimless, someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's going to hurt at first, but you're not doing this aimlessly. And the more and more I do this, like, 20-minute, 25-minute thing, and the more and more I start showing up to the gym with my buddy, the more and more I do this, I, my body's going to adjust. And I know the singularity of the prize that I'm seeking, which is washboard abs. How much more so for the way of Christ? Dallas Willard says this, the perceived distance and difficulty of entering fully into the divine life, the life of Jesus, is due entirely to our failure to understand that the way in is the way of pervasive inner transformation. And to our failure to take the small steps that quietly and certainly lead to it. Small steps, small steps need to all start with simply responding to the love of God. So this discipline, secrecy. Secrecy is practicing the spirit of Jesus in hiddenness, in anonymity. A lack of display and holding on of confidences. Let's be honest, anonymity is not our thing. No one, especially if you're here and you're a millennial. Oh man, anonymity is the last thing you are shooting for. We are special. We need to be seen. We have a vision of our business, of our life, of our work. We are managing our brand constantly. Through social media, we are managing our brand constantly for all the good things that can run off of our current technology and cultural moment. We all should be aware at this point of the real dark spots. Anonymity, to actually practice things. And this is where the practice is. This is where the squats are. This is where the regular rhythm of doing this over and over that will be hard at first and then get awesome. Because all of a sudden you'll begin to say things like, I'm just serving out of the goodness of my heart, I don't care about anything else, is setting up once a week, just start with once a week. You do something good and beautiful and a blessing to somebody else that nobody else knows about, that nobody else will hear about. Try to even do it without the person that you're blessing. That's, the, that's, that's even more of it. That's sometimes a lot harder. But do it in a way that even the person you're blessing won't link it back to you. 
Or if it is someone who's going to notice, I, I want to share mine. I'm not going to share mine. I'm going to have Adam come up and share for a second just so I'm not completely violating my principle. But to be able to do things in such a way and create a regular rhythm, this may seem like the world's smallest thing. Like, this is the point of the sermon, Andrew? This is it? Like, do one thing in secret. Yes. Just one regular discipline. In the same way Chris talked last week about fixed hour prayer. An actual regimented does not move time or thing that you practice. And what it will begin to do is, if this is, especially if this is an issue, is to begin to unform, to counterform you back into the way that you were meant to be, which is to say, God, I am an, I'm not an entitled person. I'm grateful to be alive. I am grateful for your grace. I'm grateful that I'm forgiven and my sins don't count against me. I am so grateful that I'm a child of God, deeply loved by you. I'm grateful that I have no more fear in death, or at least I'm leaning into that because I know of your resurrection. I'm grateful for the history that I'm a part of, of seeing unbelievable men and women follow you and transform the world and join you in renewing everything. I am grateful. And so to do the next thing, I'm not doing this so someone can see it. I'm not doing it for comparison. I'm not not doing something good because someone didn't do something good to me. To begin to practice the rhythm of secrecy. For those of you who are in any places of leadership, I especially encourage you to adopt this. Because if you're in any place where people are looking at you a lot and seeing you and looking to you, it's going to be really important that you're not like, <laughs> you're not swall swallowing your own words. That you're not like drunk on your ego. That you're not believing some false hype about who you are. Because if you're anything like me, you kind of start to think subtly you're a big deal. And believe me, you're not. <laughs> Anonymity is not our thing. Dallas Willard says this about secrecy. Secrecy rightly practiced enables us to place our public relations department entirely in the hands of God. Secrecy, rightly practiced, enables us to place our public relations department entirely in the hands of God. I want to ask Adam to come up really quickly and just share one uh, way that this has been a powerful practice for him. And we're going to be doing this throughout the series just to hear from other folks. So here's Adam, and I'll come back and close this. Andrew wasn't willing to violate the discipline, so he's going to have me do it. Um, so this started for me three years ago. Uh, I was at a spiritual formation retreat, and uh, I just, uh, I found this discipline in this book, this spiritual discipline handbook, which is on sale in the back. Here's a shameless plug for eight small dollars. You can grab it on the table in the back. Super helpful book for this series. Uh, I was thumbing through the book, and I came across secrecy, and I was like, oh, what's that? So I read it, um, and I was just really intrigued because there's something about the discipline where there's, like Andrew was saying, there's no humble brag in secrecy. Like, to talk about how I'm doing with secrecy. Like, oh, I'm, I'm working on my fixed hour prayer. Like, you can talk about that. But to talk about how I'm doing with secrecy just violates the discipline of secrecy. It's over. You failed. Um, so there was something about it that was like, whoa, this is like an all-encompassing, really deep kind of spiritual discipline. So I was intrigued by it. And I realized that I am up front often. I, I'm up front here. I lead a community of college students down at URI. Uh, and I'm up front leading a lot in spiritual things. So I'm, I'm not probably 
the most naturally showy person, but I have some awareness of my own heart and my own motives and desires, and I like it when people notice me. I like it when I'm affirmed. I like it when they notice you're doing a great job, you're awesome. Like, who doesn't like that, right? It feels good. Um, we need that. We want that. So three things happened for me as I began to practice spiritual uh, the d- discipline of secrecy. Number one, I had an increased awareness of my own motives. So s- secrecy was a discipline of awareness for me. I started to, like, see myself in the moment. Like, oh, there it is. You're doing that because you want them to know that you just did that. Like, so I started to see myself. God started to turn the mirror onto my motives. Number two, uh, because of that, it increases humility, right? If we're honest, we have really good motives sometimes, and we have really dark motives other times. Uh, so practicing secrecy increased my humility as I started to see myself uh, and to see some of my impure motives. And then thirdly, it increased intimacy with God. And I think that's one of the main points of the discipline of secrecy is increased intimacy with God. And I'll share how that happened in a minute. So how that played out practically, though, is I, in just in normal conversations, I was like, why do I feel the need to say this to this person? Like, why, why do I need to actually correct that small misconception about myself. Oh, no, 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 I've been doing it for five years, not four. What does it matter? It's like, oh, I, I, why do I, I don't actually need to say that. I can just keep that in. Or, I don't know, whatever. You, you do some good deed for someone on the street, and you start thinking about, I started thinking about, you know, would I share that with somebody else? Or just like, why do I need to tell you that I just did this? I don't. Nothing will be gained or lost for me telling you about this good thing I just did. Um, so I started to notice myself and notice what, um, where I was looking for affirmation from, right? If it's in a conversation, I'm looking for affirmation from the other person about how awesome I am or how well I did. So secrecy forced me to go to God for affirmation rather than other people. And the affirmation of other people is good and needed. Don't hear that. Uh, but ultimately, I want my affirmation to come from my heavenly father and not from my friends, right? Because if they're not there, then I'm out of affirmation. So it, it freed me from having to constantly tweak my image, constantly have to correct misconceptions, constantly have to think about how am I going to share this or imagine their reaction. It just freed a lot of brain space. And I found myself asking, okay, I don't wanna, I'm not going to share this. I'm like, God, you saw that, right? Like, you saw me do that. Like, oh, okay. And then that frees up space for God to say, yeah, I did, my son, whom I'm well pleased. Like, even if you didn't do that, I would love you. Right, so it kind of freed up this space in my brain and in my, my soul to actually, instead of looking and telling everyone else about my good deeds, uh, to tell God and be like, be assured that God saw me. God saw that thing happen. Uh, and God's affirmation, God's words are the ones that I actually want. So how does this increase intimacy? I thought of this example from when I was a child. My sister and I, we have a really great relationship um, She's a couple years younger than me, and when we were younger and we were still in our kind of like keep secrets for mom and dad phase, uh, we had this little code between us. It was BSC, uh, and it was brother-sister confidentiality. It wasn't the most creative acronym, but if we texted each other or we did something, we just said BSC, under no circumstances whatsoever was that secret to get out. And there are things to this day that are BSC, and they are not, they are locked down. Um, And there's something about that, having that secret between two people, that increases the intimacy between my sister and I, where I can look at her from across the room and be BSC. Got it. Boom. Done. There's something that's special that only her and I know, and that increases our trust and increases our relationship. Um, 
I'm not married, but I've been in relationships. You think about uh, the intimacy between a husband and wife. There are certain things that other people are not invited into. There's a secrecy uh, in the bedroom, right? There's a secrecy there that increases intimacy that no one else has access to. So with God, as I was like, God, you saw that, right? You saw that thing happen. There's an intimacy that began to be increased when I got to hear God's affirmation of me instead of other people's. So I encourage you guys to practice this discipline. It's actually really, really transformative. I could say a million more things about this, um, but just in quick, quick summation, secrecy helped me to see myself and increase my humility and increase my intimacy with God uh, by hearing God's words only and not other people's. So check out the book, Practice Secrecy. As we come to the table, uh, before we, I say that, um, the hope, sometimes sermons and teaching series are, are really big and lofty and we're casting big vision and a lot of times it really, like the big takeaway is like, hey, try this. Um, and I, I, wanna, I wanna push us, and that was sort of the idea this summer Especially because in the summer, it's, you know, it, it's always some, for a lot of us, not all of us, but feel like there's a little extra time to experiment and to try things. And whether it's this discipline, whether you are engaging with the fixed hour prayer, like the regular alarmed prayer time that Chris talked about last week, as we're talking about the inward disciplines, uh, which next week we'll be sharing more about other inward disciplines, um, on that website resource, there's three other disciplines on there that we want to encourage you to try if, if this isn't one that resonates or isn't helpful. But to commit to one. And I want to I wanna do something that's probably not cool, but I'm going to do it. If you, if you work out regularly, if you have some kind of regular discipline around your craft or your work, like something that you do consistently, that very rarely does anything get in the way. Can you just raise your hand for a second and keep it up? Cool. Just keep it up for one quick second. If you're here and if you have your hand raised and you're a follower of Jesus, you should be able to do this so easily. And here's what I'm saying. Attach. Attach one of these disciplines to that thing that you just raised your hand for. Like just attach it. Like, oh, I always go to the gym at this time. Cool. Spend like two minutes as you go into that and spend that time in prayer. Pull up the website and do something like, like the walk through and remind yourself midweek, oh, yeah, the secrecy one. And do something. Attach it to those times. You already have your clock broken up. Your calendar's already got some things that ping regularly. And that might be for a lot of us because the feedback after last, the last two weeks has been this is really hard. And as I said before, it's the same thing with just starting to work out again when you haven't for a long time. It is. Because you're breaking rhythm and you're trying to start adapting something different. And at first it doesn't feel like there's a lot to latch on to. But Paul isn't talking about, well, just because of like by osmosis, because I prayed God would you strengthen me. You're all of a sudden like your will is co-opted by Jesus. Paul literally says the opposite. He says work, run. God is not opposed to effort. He is opposed to earning. 
And so we already have, we don't need to, to ask God for his grace, for his favor, for the, the, the symbolism and the beauty that exists at this table. You are loved exactly where you're at with all your brokenness. And God, nothing is going to change that love. But to begin then to walk in that love and have it actually change your life and discover the life of heaven now. These practices can be so critical. And so I want to encourage us as we kind of prepare our hearts to take communion and then are sent out um, this afternoon. um, To just lock something down. Like I won't think it's weird if a bunch of like phones come out and people are plugging stuff into their calendar right now. Like maybe do that before you come to the table. Or maybe come to the table first and respond in that way. But let's as a community, because this matters. If we are going to be the the church that we feel called to be, that we feel the church has always been called to be across the century, to be a force of love and outpost of justice and generosity and celebration and beauty in the world, if we're going to do that, if we're going to be that community, then how we're doing as individuals, the practices and disciplines in our own heart are critical to that. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you just, whatever's happening in folks' hearts, would you seal that? So like, like throw some like laminate on it. Like, <laughs> like bind it to us. Like whatever conviction we may feel in this moment, may it not be like so many other things, at least in my life, that sort of are convicting in a moment and then float away. I thank you, Lord, that we can, we're responding to your grace. We're not trying to get you to do something. We're not trying to earn our way. This is not religion of lists. Lord, this is a response to your unbelievable, generous love. And so as we celebrate that love and forgiveness and reconciliation now at the table, I pray we'd find ourselves moved to change. In your name we pray. As we come, we take the bread, symbol of Christ's body, broken for us, and we dip it in the, in the juice, in the cup, and we're reminded of Christ's blood poured out for us, the greatest act of sacrifice and love that the world has ever seen. An image, a reality of forgiveness, of reconciliation, the doors being flown open, saying, come and receive, come and drink, do this in remembrance of me, May we, as we come to the table, be reminded of the great love and sacrifice and forgiveness of Jesus. If you've never put your trust in Jesus, if all of this sounds fascinating, and I would love to trust that Jesus' way is the way. I'd love to trust that that the guilt and shame and whatever else I carry around with me, the, the brokenness of the world has somehow been forgiven and that I can walk in a new way. If God is doing something in your own heart along those lines, then would you say yes to Jesus in this moment by coming forward and taking communion for the first time and then coming and, and telling one of the people over here who are, who are praying. And if in general, you just need some prayer this morning, whether you're doing awesome or whether you're hurting, come and take advantage of our team who just would love to pray for you. If it looks like really busy over here, just sit in the front row and somebody else will come and pray for you. So... As you feel ready, as you feel called, would you come forward up the center aisle, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and exit around the sides as we celebrate Christ's cross, his death and resurrection.
we come uh, at the end of our time this morning, the sent aspect of our service, um, Jesus says uh, it's better to, uh, to give than to receive. And so I want to lead us in our, uh, in our offering liturgy. And you can just follow along if you'd like to pray this along. This is sort of a, something that we return to of why we give as a community. There's nothing we have that we have not received. To spend everything on ourselves and to give without sacrifice is to walk the way of death. Generosity is the way of those who call Jesus their Lord, who love him with free hearts and serve him with renewed minds, who withstand the delusion of riches. We are determined to increase in generosity until it can be said that there is no needy person among us. We are determined to be faithful stewards of such a little thing as money that Christ may trust us with true riches. Above all things, we are determined to be generous because our Father is generous. It is the delight of his daughters and sons to share their Father's traits and to show what he is like to all the world. Lord Jesus, as we commit to caring for the needs in our community, as we commit to acts of justice as we commit to training um, and equipping the people in our church equipping each other in the way of you that we would be agents of Christ as we as we commit to to build things and programs to start things that would help us move outward as a loving community Lord would we be faithful in giving with great joy to the work that you are doing in our Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. As our, uh, as our ushers are coming around, please, if you're new with us, feel no, um, no pressure to give at all. This is an act of joy for our community as we participate in the renewal of all things. So let's sing this last chorus together as we give and are on our way.
But think as we sing this song of, of the disciple walking out onto the waves. Lord, that we would have the boldness and courage to, to walk to you, to run to you to know that the prize is you. That this, it says in John, is eternal life. That we would know you. This is the life of the ages. This is how we are hardwired. This is what it means to be fully human and fully us, is to be found and lost in you. And so I pray as we practice these disciplines this week, as we engage these spiritual practices, that you would meet us in surprising ways. That we would be, as we sang the first words we sang this morning, awake my soul, come awake. And we would find our souls woken up in new and profound ways. That the wine of heaven, that the joy of you would fill us in the midst of whatever wave storms are, are happening. So we thank you for your faithfulness to us and for these disciplines that are 
are so life-giving. In your name, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for being with us this morning. It's just great to share uh, time with you around these things that, that are important. Um, reminder again, we're having a big picnic outside. Um, it's much cooler downstairs. <laughs> Uh, and it's some great shade right as you head into the park, that first area there where the trees are. We're just going to hang out. Um, I know many of you brought picnic lunch, brought blankets. If you didn't, there'll be some extra down there. Uh, there is not a food truck there today. I know normally there has been. Um, but there's food up again at Public Kitchen and Panera if you want to grab a bite. And we just encourage you to take even just an extra 30 minutes and hang out with other folks in the community. Um, Lastly, and this is a funny note to end on, but I want to just make sure I, I say this. I was struggling with where to put this, and there was no good spot. So I don't want us to lose focus from what God's opened up. Um, but with all of the, uh, with all, there's um, tons of things always happening in the news, and there's tons of things always taking place uh, in our world that we as Christians are asked to respond to. I think it was, here it was Carl Bart or Dr. King who said, we should have a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. Our faith compels us to respond with generosity and love and justice to a world that doesn't always share uh, the way of Jesus. Um, and so there's a number of things we call ourselves to address and engage as a community. And some things are really tricky. Uh, and one thing that the Christian tradition, um, that the Christian story, that the way of Jesus is one that affirms uh, life from womb to the grave, uh, from the evils of war to the brokenness of poverty, um, to, uh, to issues of, of abortion. And we're going to have um, next week after the service just a, a small sort of pocket kind of conversation and talk time around some of that in ways that we as a community can be um, engaged in being loving and passionate people around the ways of life. So I, I say that and that uh, I want to just make sure that invitations there are a week ahead and we're going to do that. So if that's something that would be interesting to you and you'd like to process with some of our leadership around how we can be praying and be people of love and, and courage in standing up for the least of these across the spectrum, I want to encourage you to, to come to that next week. Um, so take that, put that away, let that not be a distraction to what God's spoken into your heart this morning. And I uh, will see you out at the State House lawn. Peace be with you. <laughs>